Welcome back to episode 23 of the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and in this episode, I had a discussion with Lee Spaziano. Lee is a data scientist and longtime trader and options trader. And we've been working on a project where we're trying to hack the options chain through backtesting SPX intraday options, something that's not available to retail traders, at least from what we've seen. And we're looking at strategies such as zero DTE, one DTE, and two DTE. That's kind of our focus right now. We're trying to take advantage of all the expirations SPX has to offer so we can increase our frequency of high probability trading strategies. And in this episode, we're gonna reveal some of the insight on what it takes to actually just do this type of research. The new research we're doing is going to be available in mid-April, 2021. So in a few weeks from now, um, from the time of this episode, and it's going to be in the community at stockmarketoptionstrading.net. You can get a free account there if you want to get started. Now, after listening to the episode, be sure to stop by the community where Lee and I are going to be hanging out in the community. And you can ask questions. If you go to the podcast section, you'll see the podcast there. And you'll be able to ask questions. And we can kind of continue the conversation about what we discussed in today's episode. And again, that's over at stockmarketoptionstrading.net. All right, let's get into my discussion with Lee Spaziano. All right, so we're here with Lee Spaziano. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've been working a lot together on some SPX backtesting. Before we get into all that, though, Lee, give me a little bit of your history about trading, how you got into trading, and maybe some of your influences about how you kind of ended up in the in the you know options world. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Eric. I wanted to show you this giant stack of books that I have here. And I don't know how many are here, 10 or 20, something like that. And I've been trying to figure out, trying to hack the stock market industry for my entire life. And let's see, this book right here was the first one that I read. This is Wade Cook, The Wall Street Money Machine. And this book teaches you about trading options. I read it when I was maybe 16 years old and I was trading through my uncle's account and I was doing mostly long call options. And you know what it's like to do long call options. They work, data works against you and you lose money time after time after time. And I learned pretty quick that that was a losing strategy. So then I started getting into these technical analysis books, right? I thought, well, if I can just predict where the market's going, <laughs> right. then, then I can make my long call options work. And I started using all these indicators and all these different ways to try to try to make it work. And, and I just couldn't make it work through technical analysis. I got this book over here. What is this? Technical analysis for dummies. Mm. Um, all <laughs> these books that kind of got me um, thinking about trying to make uh, predictions about where the market was going, where a stock is going. I have momentum and I have RSI and I have all these different things. And sure, surely one of these could um, help me make a prediction about the market accurately. So then I read this book. This is a uh, complete, complete turtle trader's guide to trading. Yeah. And he talks about his brilliant momentum strategy and how it works and all of the details to, to become a successful trader using his strategy. But the problem is that the stock market efficiencies have made these strategies stop working like a decade ago. These mm -hmm. strategies were great when he was using them, so mm -hmm. my whole my whole career, I've been kind of looking for a way to make money. Um, here's 
um, harmonic trading, right? Surely, if the indicators don't work, there must be some kind of pattern there. Yeah. And if I could just <laughs> see that pattern, I can make it work, right? right. All, these, all these methods, they, they just don't work. And the people that are selling these methods are not really being honest with their students, mm. right? So how do you find a method that, that works? Oh, I left one out. I, um, I am a data scientist. I'm a computer engineer, hardware okay. design engineer. And I decided that I was going to, uh, maybe I can't pick out the patterns, but the computer can pick out the patterns. So I wrote all these AI programs. I wrote some Kiros programs and, and, and all kinds of stuff, trying to get the computer to use an artificial neural network to find the patterns in the technical analysis and pick mm -hmm. out winners for me. And I right. spent a year on that and it didn't right. work. And <laughs> somebody else said, well, that's because it has to do with market sentiment. It has more to do with the way people are talking about the market. So we started working on this AI called a bag of words technology where we were, <laughs> we were reading the news with the computer and uh -huh. trying to see what people were talking about in the marketplace and then make predictions about where the stocks were going based on what people are talking about right. and all this stuff. Sentiment, you know, I didn't, sentiment yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, let, let, let me back up just a little bit. So okay. how, how did you, I don't want to reveal our, our ages here, but like, I know I didn't even know what a call option was when I was, I didn't even really know what the stock market was when I was 16. I mean, you know, you know what the stock market is, everything is in terms right. of the Dow, but how did you know about call options when you were 16? Right. So my uncle bought this book mm -hmm. and he said, Hey, this is great. Help me figure this stuff out. You know, cause I was yeah. a bright kid. Right. And, right. um, you know, I, I read the book and we started trading and at the time, I, I forget what it was. Commissions were like 30 bucks to do, <laughs> to, to trade an option. Can yeah. That today? That's crazy. So, so, you know, I want to, you know, your computer background is probably a big uh, uh, component here. Uh, yeah. For me, you know, I think I was fortunate. My, um, my stepfather had gone to, uh, had gone back to college and we had a, he, I, I learned DOS in fifth grade in fifth and sixth grade. And yeah. I felt like we were so, I don't want to say the word rich isn't the word, but we were so lucky because I had two floppy drives, two five and a quarters where I could actually do one thing and then copy it to the other one, which at the time was a big deal because you would, you would essentially either have to overwrite whatever it is you're doing, or you would lose it or whatever. And I think that stuck with me for a long time. So I have a, um, I have a, a lot of backgrounds. I, I was a math teacher for many years. And then um, I got into IT and I, I was always comfortable in the command line. So I was doing Cisco networking stuff for a long time. Right. And so how did you get into um, programming and, you know, computers, I guess? Sure. Is, is that something you started like when you were younger, like like grade what? school or, or what? I guess I was nine years old and my father bought me this Radio Shack TRS-80 computer. Mm. And my brother and I learned to code basic. We did some stupid little programs, some kaleidoscope programs and yeah. we games, kind of like Oregon Trail style games. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so we started coding when I was nine years old is when I learned my first language. And, you know, eventually I went to school for it. I learned... 
I don't know, I must know 20 different programming languages. I program in mm. Verilog and C and C++ and um, I don't know, but Visual Basic. Um, yeah. I've yeah, I did a little bit of that. Python. Yeah. Yeah, no, Python's talked about a lot. I had, we had a T90, TI-99. My, right. my, my grandfather worked for Texas Instruments, so we got... Um, but is that a calculator a, or a computer? Is it a TI-85? <laughs> no, it was a computer, and I might be saying the wrong... Um, uh, and it actually had cartridges, and there was a couple video games, yep. but, but you could also program to it. And the way we would, we would save, and I'm air quoting here, we would yep. save our data was I had a tape recorder, yep. and you would hit record, and it would re record this fax-like sound, dial-up modem sound, and that was your recording of your of your code because you couldn't you couldn't record the disc but but man it's a lot different now isn't it yeah absolutely um, so yeah we i don't want to <laughs> bore everybody with the history of our <laughs> stuff but i'm sure there's a lot of people who who understand what we're saying here well I, I think the key takeaway here is that i've been in the market my whole life and mm -hmm. i've been in technology my whole life right mm -hmm. i am an engineer with a scientific degree in engineering and uh, the, the takeaway is how could i not merge the two together into right. try to make a system that works a systematic methodology and, and you know what it's like when you write a piece of software there's a step-by-step -step procedure the computer does all of the things procedurally and you want to apply that to your whole life i want to apply that to my trading and i've been looking for my whole life for a methodology that works procedurally to earn consistent income week after week after week after week. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I like that word procedurally. You know, what, one of the things we're working on is, and I agree, it's, it's and I talk about this with, with in other videos and things, and the idea that there's sort of this, like a market condition versus a trigger. So triggers are very like, like technical analysis is gonna give you a trigger, right? It's like this, this thing went overbought and now it's turning up. So now you buy it. You have to watch it all day. And I think what we're ultimately trying to get to is, is can we avoid all that? Right. Is, is there, are there just some natural, I, I, I go back to the Brownian motion sort of theory of just, there's just constant movement. And what we're trying to do with, and we'll get into this in here in a minute with our shorter term options trading is really just trading, um, combining, if you will, the, the higher probability or the edge that that option selling can give you combined with a little bit of um, technology to find the right time to enter the trade. And we're actually looking at actual times, like actual time of day or right. end of day and time of day, as opposed to, um, you know, waiting for the moving averages to cross or whatever the, the thing is. And I still do some of that too. But um, so I think, yeah, merging those two things together is, um, I think where everyone's headed. So I'm glad that, that I'm able to work with you on that. Cause you, you've, a lot of the things you've done are really, really, um, impressive. And so let me, let me ask you, I, so I know like one of the things that, that we talked about a lot, I think that's where we first started talking about backtesting was, um, some backtesting software we were both using. Right. And I think we were, I think it was eDelta pro we were both that's using, right. And I use CML um, trade machine as well. And they, there's some pros and cons to either, to both of those. But the one thing that those, those programs have in common, and they're both, they're great programs. I mean, they're really nice, the, the interface. Um, and now that, you know, 
and I'll ask you now that you've kind of gotten into that, you know, when you look at, you know, what E-Delta Pro, I think they have the prettiest interface. It's just, I mean, it's really, it's really nice, but yeah. the disadvantage Blake. here is, or the, the one con is the, that they only do use end of day option pricing. Right. And so what's, you know, in your, you know, kind of opinion, what's the, the pros and cons, I guess, of these programs that, that are available to retail traders and, and yeah. what do you think about end of day uh, option pricing for back testing? Well, so Tasty Trade is a big player in this community and they give particular advice. And that advice is to take money or take profit at a certain level, it might be a 50% level or a 75% level or, or whatever the level is. They say, um, close the trade at 21 days or roll the trade at 21 days and take profit at level 60%, whatever, whatever number you're working with. Now, the problem is you're going to do this back test. And if your, your back test is only looking for the end of day price, it could have hit your target um, midday. Um, the high for the day could have been well ab above your target and then it closed below your target. And in simulation, that trade just keeps on going. But in real life, that trade would have been closed out and you would have taken your profit. So that's true on the upside, but it's also true on the downside. A lot of people are trying to use stop losses. Now, I don't particularly believe in using stop losses on credit spreads and, and iron condors and that sort of thing, but some people do. And if you're doing maybe a cash secured put or a naked call or w whatever it is, um, you might want to have your stop loss in place. And if you're using only end of day numbers, you can't accurately figure out where your stop loss would have triggered. Um, okay. It's hard enough because a stop loss is triggered, but then your actual transaction happens at market price. So it's hard enough to, to simulate that as it is, never mind um, only having end of day. If you only have end of day data, you have to see did the low breach your price and then and then trade at the low for the day in, in simulation. And that's no good. It's just it's just inaccurate. Um, the other thing is you need to know how much um, how much volume is actually happening at each strike price, right? If the mark goes above your target limit, but there's zero transactions at that mark, then you probably would not have actually got a fill at that mark. So, right. so just using the high or the low for the day doesn't work either. You actually have to look at the data in, in a very smart way. You have to figure out the um, the essence of the data and apply that to your simulation. And you just can't do it with end of day data. Right. Yeah. And I think where I ended up with those programs, which I, I still think they're, they mm -hmm. have value, but I think yes. what ultimately is the time frame that you want to work on. So if you're That's selling right. a 45 day spread, you know, end of day pro pricing is probably close enough. Um, but is, when you start getting into seven day, or, you know, and what we're getting into zero, one, two day to expiration stuff. Yeah, you really, you really can't use those programs for backtesting. And I've seen a lot of stuff in the Facebook groups, and there's a lot of people that are that are trading these short term things. And most of the most of what I'm seeing is either some form of technical analysis, that's their own system, which I just can't follow them in that, you know. Um, and then there's others that are just they're just taking straight high probability trades where they're saying, okay, I'm going to sell Delta 10. I'm going to put a stop and I'm going to just play the averages there. And that, I mean, that could work too. Um, but I think what we wanted to try and do is really just get into, let's try some 
you know, what do we need to do to try some different things and kind of let's see what works. Let's see what other things could work that no one is kind of talking about. That's kind of where, where we started talking about, okay, well, what would it take to build our own back tester? If we had the data, what could we do with that? And so real quick, so there's another program called option net Explorer or something like that. They offer intraday pricing, but there's no automated back test. Right. Whereas eDelta Pro and CML, they have automated back testing, but no intraday pricing. So why do you, it's like, why, but why do you think, right. uh, you know, why, why doesn't eDelta Pro do that? And now I know like, like we're mainly, I mean, we're going to get into SPX. There's no secret here. Everyone knows I like SPX. So um, you probably don't really need intraday pricing for, you know, IBM and all these other stickers. And I know they're trying to, uh, they, you can test any stock in there, but when you narrow it down to like indexes and things, SPY, especially, you would think someone would have come out with this for retail of, yeah. of that. But why do you think that they don't, they don't offer intraday automated right. back testing? Well, I mean, I mean, the answer, the answer is super simple, right? Mm-hmm. It's because the data is overwhelming. It's just an incredible amount of data. Um, the data, the data that we have is a full terabyte of data. I literally had to buy a new one terabyte drive <laughs> yeah. to actually store <laughs> the data on so we could process it. Yeah. And, um, and, and if you think about it, if you say, hey, Lee, search your one terabyte drive and find the 45 Delta 8 DTE in <laughs> March of 2010, right? I mean, that that's an incredibly difficult thing to do if you have a terabyte of data and and they just they just can't do it they just can't do it fast they can't do it reliably they can't do it we you press go and say show me 600 trades and those 600 trades might might take six hours to run yeah and um it takes it takes somebody that's kind of bright that kind of knows how to work with big data to figure out how to organize this in a way that makes sense um, and because I did so much work with AI, I've used a lot of giant databases that needed to be processed. So I knew exactly how to do it. Mm. So I was able to take these CSV files with ASCII data of prices and dates and all that and take it and turn it into binary files and store it in a database. What am I using? I'm using a, um, I'm using a, a MySQL database and I'm using C++, right? And they might be doing something with PHP or something like that because they're on a web page, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm using super fast, highly right. compiled, optimized C code. I have my MySQL database totally optimized and I can press a button and I can do a search and I can find that specific option that we just talked about in about an eighth of a second. And yeah. I can do a search for 600 trades in, I don't know, what does it take us? 25 seconds for 600 trades? Yeah. So it's some pretty amazingly fast technology. And what yeah. that does is it allows us to do all kinds of simulations. We don't have to, with E-Delta Pro, and again, I don't want to knock E-Delta Pro because I think they're great. And, and they have all these different options and all these different underlyings and everything else. They're great. But if you were to do what we're doing in E-Delta Pro, it would take days and days and days and we have it set up so that we can do um simulations in five minutes that would take all week to work on e delta pro yeah can you imagine the 
you know, having to have it for all stocks, you know, I guess, I guess it's a give and take. So they're, they have one price per day, right? right? So what, what, what we were looking at and just, you know, for the listeners. So we, uh, there was another trading buddy, um, that I talked to, um, that had some of the data and, and I went out and purchased some of the data. And, and basically what we ended up buying is SPX one minute option pricing. And so for, for those who have seen an option chain before, if you go to the option chain for SPX and, and, you know, I want to ask you why you like SPX just to hear you say it, but, um, but if you go to the option chain and you look at SPX and you see a gazillion expirations, there's three expirations per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then there's quarterlies and there's monthlies. And so if you think about it, every minute, there is a snapshot of the option pricing that's in this spreadsheet for every strike that includes the Greeks. It includes, I believe the IV level. I mean, there's a few different, you know, yep. we, we, we got the whole, um, whole shebang when we got that data. So, so basically I, I, I go, Hey Lee, I got, I got all this stuff for you. How do I even get it to you? So we, we had to, <laughs> you know, we're using FileZilla and I, like I was, getting some of it from Dropbox. And just for the record, like I bought this, um, this data came from the CBOE, the, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. And when you buy data from them, you can choose the time frame and all these things. So we chose the one minute data and they basically give you an FTP site and say, okay, you have 30, here, you know, you pay them the money and they give you 30 days or whatever, maybe 60 days and say, okay, Hey, uh, you have 60 days to download this crap because it's a lot. And yeah. so when I downloaded the, and I think I bought one year and every spreadsheet and, and it's probably CSV is probably the right word there, but every CSV file was 275 megs that I had to download. So I was like, okay, that's, you know, I mean, that's pretty big, but, um, you know, I've seen bigger, right. I'm in it. So I've seen some big stuff, but, but then <laughs> So I, I send you these files. And so when you first cracked open one of these CSV files, what, what did you think about it when you just saw? I mean, and, and by the way, every, every day they give you one of these files and every day it's a 275 meg file. So what did you think when you, when I gave you, you know, when you think about a year, there's 250 I mean, trading days a year. So we have 250 spreadsheets one day and this is just one year this was just 2020 so what, what did you think about that uh, i mean it was just crazy so first of all it was on dropbox and i couldn't figure out how to download multiple files at the same time right. so i'm over <laughs> yeah. here having to have to download one file at a time and then once i get it i had to unzip one file at a time and uh, you know eventually Eventually, I figured my way around the technology so I can unzip 200 files at a time. But when when I went to unzip it, I didn't have room on my hard drive to unzip the file. Right. I mean, it was so. Right. When so you unzipped it, 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 it was bigger, right? Like, what was the compression like on that? Uh, it was oh, it, it, three to one? Uh, or? No, it, it was ASCII. So it was like 100 to one compression. Because um, when anyway. you opened it up, each one of those files turned into like a gigabyte, right? Yeah, Something that's like right. That? It was a gig okay. gigabyte profile. Yeah, so that was pretty big. You try to open it in Excel, but Excel wouldn't show the whole file. I think it wanted to show only like one tenth of the file at a time. So I had to open it in a text editor, and then I couldn't couldn't see the organization. It was just crazy. And I thought to myself, who stores data like this? Who stores data in ASCII CSV files with <laughs> this type of data? Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's a lot of data. And I know, you know, at some point we were talking about like, okay, what, 
do we do we really need one minute data? I think that was one of the conversations we had. And I think yep. where we ended up is is where we said, okay, look, if if we can get 15 minute increments, we felt like that was a pretty good check throughout yep. the day for and you know, we were kind of getting back into like triggering stops and and you know time of entry. So if we can just base it on 15 minutes, um, we felt like that was pretty good. Yep. Um, and that reduced the size. But is, is there anything else you did that you remember that you did to the data just to kind of get it under control, like um, besides 15-minute references? Yeah, I mean, there there was a lot there. So first of all, I threw out a bunch of data that I didn't need. Like in the file was row. Um, if you look at the right. option pricing model, row is one of the Greeks. We yeah. don't need row. I mean, I don't <laughs> care what the... I mean, it's just not part of, of what right. we're doing. Right, so and, we, and there was, we did some of it, yeah. Yeah. So, so out of like 14 columns, I ended up keeping maybe six columns for, for the database, um, compressed it down from one minute to 15 minute bars. Um, but, but the biggest advantage was converting it from ASCII format into binary format. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and that's good for the size of the data, but we also had to make it very searchable. So you can't just make a you can't just make a binary file and expect your software to be able to, to zoom right through it, right? We had to turn it into an SQL database and we had to set up all of the indexes and we had, a, we had to set up, we had to conceive all of the different searches that we might want to do. What, what are the keys that we're searching by and what are the, the keys that we want to order by and all of these different options that, uh, or all of these different design choices to optimize the database so we could do quick searches. I ended up doing something like um, 5,000 tables or something like that. I'll I'll have to go back and look at it. But, you know, a lot of people, when they'll do an SQL database, they have one table, right? And I have more tables than I can keep track of right now, because what happens is that optimizes the the search capability. Um, When I go to do a search, I know exactly what month and what year and what day that I'm doing a search for. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm able to find that, that option chain in an instant. So it, it's really important that the data is formatted in a way that makes it highly optimized for search. Right. Yeah. And think about and, Google. You know, Google. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know Google how search. they do all that stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it is a lot of data. And, and again, you know, this is just one ticker. Like we're just right. looking at SPX. And so let me back up just a second. Um, before we started this project, were were you trading S, you know, SPX a little bit, or like where did that right. fit into you? Because I get like I've been just ever since I've been doing E Delta Pro and CML, it's like more and more SPX, and now right. it's like you know, like I just see myself almost, and I say almost because I always trade other things, but a big chunk of my trading, I feel like it's just going to be SPX because partly because there's so many um, expirations, but what do you think about, you know, trading SPX as a primary primary vehicle, I guess is where I'm, where I'm headed. Yeah. So tasty trade and those guys, they, they talk about all these different options and you go on the Facebook groups and you hear all these different traders with all of their different underlyings and tickers that they're trading. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I was for a long time. Um, and you have all kinds of problems with those. You have earnings reports and you have dividends and you have all of these just weird things that happen. A car company can't get a microchip that it needs to build their car and it tanks. And then right. um, and, yeah. um, we recently had kind of a, a technology correction. But meanwhile, banking was going up, up, up. 
in technology is going down, down, down. And you look at the S&P and it's like, I don't, I don't get it. All the stuff that I'm holding is going down. How is S&P going up? Right. And it, it, because yeah. it's these popular technology stocks that are, that are taking a hit. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I think ultimately like you have to have some sort of underlying opinion of the stock that you're trading and with individual stocks, there's so many variables, like you mentioned, earnings, announcements, yep. um, you know, various industries or like the retail industry got killed um, during COVID cruise ships and things like that. It's like some of those things you just can't, can't really predict. And, and when something's going down or going up too fast, selling options in a contrarian manner can, you know, can be difficult. So, um, and so, I do a lot of strangles. So, you know, it's easy to be wrong. It could go way down or it could go way up and, yeah. and you get, you get burned just as much either way. Yeah. Um, I, and, and I do a lot of calendar spreads as well. And it doesn't matter if it goes up or down, I end up, I end up in trouble. So I, I guess it's important to realize that with a lot of these underlyings, a lot of these companies, they, they just do things that you, you don't expect. Now it's not to say that SPX doesn't do things you don't expect it, but, but the truth is, if you look at it, you can draw these big giant um, trend lines on SPX <laughs> yeah. and it's just kind of a straight line. It just kind of goes up forever. I yeah. mean, and you can't say that about a company. A company might have, might go down for five years and it might go up for eight years. And then, and I guess SPX does that too, but, but you know, the macro does trend <laughs> for SPX is just up and yeah. it just goes up. Don't fight the fed. Right. Yeah. Don't fight the Fed. Yeah, so we got the Fed on our back, so that's good because I know I know we we end up trading a lot of um, you know net sellers of puts and spreads and things, put spreads, and um, you I, know, I shorted the spy. There was uh, the COVID, the first COVID jobs report, right? Yeah. I'm like, I mean, the the economy, the jobs are a disaster right now. They the this jobs report is going to drive the market down. I shorted the spy. And the Fed comes out and makes an announcement and, and SPY went up. Yeah. I mean, the worst jobs report in modern history in the stock market went up that day. It's yeah. just crazy. Don't yeah. fight the Fed. Yeah, don't fight the Fed. And we're trying to figure out like, you know, because some of the work we're doing, it's like we're going to ignore the market or I should say we're going to ignore the news and we're just going to trade. But, but, but it's almost like, I mean, I guess we're trading the Greeks a little bit, but it's almost, it just seems a little bit different from, from some of the other things where we're not like with SPX, you know, trading something with high IV, like all that's out the window. You were not trading SPX for high IV. We're, we're basically just trying to, I think, um, you know, I, I had, you, you listened to the episode with David Sun and he termed it as premium capture, right? We're basically, there's this premium out in the world and we're trying to collect it and put it, you know, from the market into our accounts by basically selling premium. And there's premium all up and down the option chain and all these expirations. And I think that's ultimately what we're kind of trying, trying to accomplish and try to do it in the easiest way possible, right? Like that's true. The, the, you know? the simplest way. Uh, all these possible. people doing research on the these stocks, trying to know everything there is to know about them. I, yeah. I have a, a great friend that does all this um, dividend and um, mm -hmm. and earnings research. And every Sunday, he's digging in to see which 
which companies are going to have earnings reports and which ones have um, a good ranking from this company and which ones beat the whisper for the last three three quarters in a row and all of these criteria. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just mm. saying it sounds like a lot of work. And yeah. to trade SPX, you, you, you just don't need to know all that much. You don't have to do <laughs> all that much research. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's funny. It, it reminds me of, um, you know, the more you admit you don't know, the, the better off you're going to be. So by by yeah. us, you know, and I hate to say I ignore the news because I don't. And I, I make, you know, I'm, I'm, I got hammered on some call spreads again air call spreads um, because the market rebounded faster than I thought it would. Again, you know, this is learning my lesson eventually. But um, but I think there's a simplicity to to some of this stuff. I think there's a confidence factor when you do something and you know it works and you know how to do it, you're just going to do it. And um, and that's that's kind of where I ended up with with SBX is to just trade similar strategies across different uh, durations, time duration, different deltas, and try to see what works, what makes sense. And then, you know, obviously trying to piece it all right. together to evaluate uh, your risk is, is important. So, um, all right. So let me, let me ask you um, with your trading in general, I know you're a net seller of options like I am. You do a lot of spreads and strangles. Where on the option chain do you typically uh, like to sell at? You know, some people like to sell farther out where it's, you know, higher probability with Delta 10, 20. And I know we're, we're kind of been selling a little bit closer, but where do you typically find yourself on the option chain? And and why do you, why do you like that area? Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit different than most of the other traders that you'll talk to and it, it not, not because I'm a different kind of guy, but because I've seen the data, I've seen the results of the back test. And what I can tell you is, they're quite surprising. You might, um, you might, if I ask you a question, what do you think is going to be a bigger winner, a 20 Delta cash secured put or an 80 Delta cash secured put? And most people are going to be all over the 20 Delta, right? Your, 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 um, your probability of profit is super high. Mm. Um, and, and it, and it looks like a good trade, but the truth is that the 80 Delta pays a lot more premium and the extreme, the 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 value of the the way the numbers work out, the probability in that trade, you just get paid so much better for the risk that you're taking. And what I found out was that the sweet spot is definitely you know forty to sixty deltas. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I kind of like to be at a fifty-five or a sixty delta in almost everything that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my strangles because um, then they would start off inverted. That would be terrible. <laughs> right. But uh, but for my my spreads, my credit spreads, um, um, a lot of what I do, I like to be in in the higher deltas. And, and that's just me. That's just based on my historical studies. But I think the key here is that it's all about the numbers. It's, it's a numbers game. If we look at like um, a casino, right? You have a roulette wheel and maybe somebody hits and gets paid 36 to one on, on their number, right? But there's 38 spots on that roulette wheel and the house is getting two out of 38 on every single spin. They, they, the odds are in their favor and they're right. collecting. And what they're doing is they're playing the law of large numbers and they are counting on 
lots of money to show up on that table and lots of spins on the roulette wheel. And we're doing the same thing here. When we look at SPX and these SPX strategies, what we're saying is that historically, the numbers are in our favor. And, and recently what we've been doing is let's do as many of these trades as we can. And by having a large number of trades, it works out that, that the odds benefit us. So, mm. so, um, yeah. And, and let me add, I think, I think, you know, when, when you talk about the law, the law of large numbers, I think one of the reasons why I gravitate towards SPX is because there's so many expirations, you're able to increase yep. your frequency to where those numbers would play out over time. So for example, if you do a five-year study, and I think I did this for, it was a Delta 30 spread and, and I forget what it was exactly, but you know, if you let it go to expiration over time, it, it made money, but it, it took you 30 days to realize that profit. And what we're starting to see is on seven day, uh, two day, one day, zero day, you're realizing maybe it's not as much, right? Like it might not be as much profit for each spread, but you're be, you're able to realize that in a much shorter time yeah. frame. So when you combine all this together, you're, you're able to turn your capital over faster and it's not sitting there waiting for the next, um, yeah. you know, if something's going to blow up on Tuesday, like, yeah, that's going to be a bad day for you. Uh, but, and, and there's not a lot of time to recover, but you're, it's like, you're, you're, you're right back in the game the next day or the day after and the crash, yeah. you know, what would be a, like a COVID two month crash, you know, that's, that's going to be over in a couple of days and then you're kind of back, back in there. So I think, yeah. I think what you're saying is right is it's, it is a numbers game and increasing your frequency, I think is something that that's going to help. Absolutely. And I, I don't know, I think maybe I have six or seven different SPX put credit spreads open right now yeah, me and, too. <laughs> and i got all these different strikes yeah. um and, and it, it's it, the numbers the the historical numbers say that the methodology that i'm using works and it works in 2018 and it works in 2020 and it works in 2016 and it mm -hmm. works it works in 2021 too and, you know, there's changes in the market. Well, what's that expression that it's um, the stairs up and the elevator down? Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The fact is, in SPX, there's more green days than red days, right? right. It, the red days can be a lot bigger, and you might have a, a terrible week. But overall, when you look at the chart, there's more green bars than red bars. And right. that, that historical fact is just, just, even in a bad year, if you look at March of 2020, right, mm -hmm. there, there was... It was terrible, right? But if you look at all of 2020, the number of green bars versus red bars is just far outnumbers. Yeah, and that's where you get into really understanding the the risk that you're taking and making sure that you're not, because especially with options, just in all all categories, um, you know, it, no matter what anyone says, risk defined spreads, everything is leveraged. Even though you're selling spreads and you've you've, you know, protected your downside, you still, yeah. from a leverage standpoint, um, you, you're, or you're, you're trading with leverage, you know, even if you're doing spreads or, or whatever, because, you know, when you, when you, like, I, I experience max losses a lot more frequently than, than every, than I ever thought I would or, or should. 
Um, and I remember reading, you know, some of the books that I kind of started with were like, do not take max loss. Max <laughs> loss is the worst thing that can ever happen to you. You're an idiot. If you take a max loss, you need to, and it's, there's some sort of like egotistical thing there that was ingrained in me. And now I'm just like, oh yeah, I took a max loss. But, but if you're selling Delta 60, like you say, or Delta 40, 50, or, you know, even an 80, the max loss is very small. It's the yeah. max loss is big. And, and they're right. If you're selling Delta 20, yeah, a max loss can really hurt you. But if you're selling Delta 40, Delta 50, it's, yep. it's closer to a one-to-one, uh, you know, uh, relationship there between the yep. risk reward. So understanding those numbers, uh, is, is definitely, um, you yep. know, super, super important there. So I took a full loss on one this week, a full 100% loss on a Delta 80. It mm-hmm. cost me 45 bucks on a $5 <laughs> spread. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. So as long as you're okay with the win rate being lower, because I'm sure Delta 80 win rate is lower. And, oh, and, and maybe that's what it is. I think people um, focus on win rate as, yeah. as, there's an overemphasis on it and there's nothing wrong with wanting to win more than you lose. I prefer that. Um, but at the same time, if a 90% win rate means you make less money than a 70% win rate, you know, yep. you gotta, at some point you gotta look at the actual expectancy of, of whatever it is you're, you're trading. People that don't have the options data that we have before we had the options data before I was using E Delta pro, I would use win rate as a proxy for success. I would evaluate a thing and say, um, this wins 60% of the time or 70% of the time. So therefore it must be a good trade. But without knowing the option pricing model, you, you really can't determine that. There's lots and lots of great trades that have a low probability of profit. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's groups out there that are saying you got to do high probability of profit trades and, and it's just simply not true. Um, those, yeah. those make you feel good because you have a high win rate, but they don't have the high. high Does it though? Yeah, let me tell you, like when you're in that trade, when you're in a high probability trade, let's say it's, you're a Delta 10, like, you know, I think the, the term is pennies and you're picking up pennies in front of a train or steamroller or whatever. Roller. And yeah. just at some point the train's coming and I, like, I'm not comfortable in those trades anymore. And I think that's, that's an evolution of getting my, you know, butt handed to me a few times where you're like, Oh my God, I just wiped out eight trades with this one. You right. know, whereas, whereas, you know, finding the, the different places on the chain where you're like, okay, yeah, I lost three in a row. But this right. one winner is greater. And, 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 and that's the idea why, that you can trade, you don't have to trade high probability to make money, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And that's why IV rank is so important, right? Because we look at these things knowing that there's going to be I, IV mean reversion. The, the fact is you can't just trade 10 and 20 deltas all day long and expect to make money because the probability isn't in your favor. It's only when the pricing model puts IV um at a high number that these options have high premium that makes it worthwhile to do the lower deltas. If you're right. doing 10 delta on low IV options, you're going to get hammered. You're going to get hammered time after time after time. You're going to be losing money in this industry. If you are trading low IV and low delta, you just, you just don't make money that way. Yeah. So, so there are traders that trade low delta, but you have to trade 
high IV to compensate for that low delta. Mm -hmm. And you, um, inversely, you can trade high delta and low IV and still, still make money. So, right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, establishing the back test, if you will, and I know we, you know, we use the word a lot, um, but, but the idea behind the back test is to just look at those combinations of numbers where you're like, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to hang out at Delta, I, I, I find myself at Delta 40 between 40 and 50. And, and basically because that's what the data says works and I, and I, I'm okay with it, but, um, but understanding the, the win rate plus how big the winners are, plus how big the losers are. And that's something that, that roulette doesn't help with the, the roulette analogy um, where, you know, if you bet on black, if you will, you're going to, the risk reward is one to one. Sure. If you sure. win, you double your money. If you lose, you, you lose your money. Right. And what, what's good about it is the distribution of wins and losses um, yep. is unknown. So even though you have eight um, blacks in a row, that doesn't mean the next one's going to be red. It yep. just means that's just what happened. So when you combine, you know, uh, like a, let's say you had a, <laughs> this is probably stupid. If you had a 60% win rate in roulette, you'd be doing okay, yep. right? Because your winners and losers are the same, but with options, they're not priced equally. When you sell a Delta 50, which is supposed to be about a 50% probability, you don't mm -hmm. get 50% of the, of the credit for that spread. It's actually yeah. less. And that's outside of commissions, all that. So understanding what, and, and this is why we, we talk about backtesting so much is just to get an idea of, okay, even though I had a 70% win rate, um, I still need this much money to overcompensate this much in, in the losses. So I think that's something that, that people should probably understand. And, and, and I think ultimately if, if, people get into their own back testing, they're going to really kind of get a, uh, you know, a better feel for whatever strategy it is they're trading. Yeah. Um, they'll get a better feel for how it actually works. And then they can decide if they want to keep, you know, kind of keep trading that or not. So, you know, I think a better analogy would be one from this book that I think we've both read the options traders head. Oh yeah. By, uh, Dennis Chen. Yeah. It's and a great book. The analogy might be if you sell homeowners insurance, right? If you're selling premium, mm -hmm. You say you're a homeowner's insurance premium company and what, what's your win rate selling homeowner's insurance, right? How often does a house burn down, right? right. It, not uh, the, the probability of a house burning down is, is pretty low and your probability of profit selling a homeowner's insurance policy is, is, is quite high, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't expect Katrina to come through. Katrina comes through and it destroys entire cities. And then right. you're stuck as the insurer and, and you have to pay that, right? And, and that's what it reminds me of with these um, 10 deltas, right? And five deltas. Mm -hmm. And you, with, with a five delta, you're going to win 95% of the time, maybe 98% of the time. It's going to expire out of the money. But those times that it doesn't expire out of the money it's going to wipe you out like a storm surge it's just yeah uh, the give back is deal. the give back is real on those um for for sure yep um so you know i know we you know we've been talking about back testing and and you know what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks from the from the posting of this is um in the stock market options trading um dot net community we're going to be putting some of this information out and what we're really focused on right now is um, zero day 
one day and two day trades. We're going to try to take advantage of all these SPX um, expirations and kind of see what works, what deltas. We're looking at, we're initially just looking at profit targets, but we'll eventually get into stops. Um, so that's something we're going to be putting in the community. At least, what, you know, when you see some of this data, I mean, are there any myths that, you know, have been busted in your mind, stuff that that are that maybe was ingrained that's no longer ingrained. What what is your kind of take from some of this, some of these results that we're seeing? You know, I, I hate to say it, um, but all of the conventional wisdom just just isn't really true. <laughs> they they yeah. they talk about how this is wins and this loses, or this is great and that's terrible. But the fact is that when you understand the pricing models anything can work when you understand the historical data you know what has traditionally worked and it's not what people are telling you has worked it's what actually worked over history so the the big myth to be busted here is what works and what doesn't work and you can't know that i mean really know that without looking at the historical data to see what's actually happened in the past. And that's what we do. That's what we've looked at. That's how we know that the stuff that we're doing works. And not only does the, the, the back test prove that it works, but we're doing these trades day after day after day. And I'm yeah. winning. And, I'm, and I have weekly paychecks. And I'm happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I've been really, um, with all the newer trades that we've been doing, the real short-term stuff, I'm, I'm tracking those. Um, from I'm using Wingman Tracker. I'm exporting out of Tasty Trade. So I'm, so what I'm what I'm going to be doing is once we release some of this uh, this backtest information into the community, by the time we get that out, I'm going to kind of release. Okay, here are here are the real world tr- real world trades that I've taken that that are direct exports from my Tasty Trade account that I've I've dedicated this Tasty Trade account to SPX and primarily these short term trades. And so we're going to be sharing that data and. Um, you know, I think there's a certain variable that I think we're getting past and, and you know, and I don't want to say, I, I, I hate to say that other things don't work, but I think you just, there's, there's too many human elements to go wrong that I've kind of fallen prey to fear, greed, all the things. Um, but especially when it comes to making adjustments and stuff, I've just never was able to do that. And there are some people that are, are able to do that, but I think for the for the common person who's working a day job, who's just getting into options, who you actually just can't, I don't think you can understand. I don't care what book you rate, you read. It's too hard to understand the pricing model and all the Greeks when you're, and, and if you don't have enough skin in the game, you're not going to learn it. And I think there's, there's, there's some combination there where if you're, if you're trading, you know, with $500, like how much of the Greeks are you really going to know? Like how much time are you going to put into that for the effort? Cause let's say you do start winning and you're winning 10 bucks this week and 20 bucks next week. At some point, the significance of the, the, the money you're dealing with makes it hard to learn options unless you really dedicate it over time. Or maybe you're still contributing. Maybe you have a day job and you're contributing to your account. Um, but, and so what we're trying to do is eliminate some of the human element by saying, okay, get in the trade at this time, take this profit. Here's the math, walk away and just stop thinking. 
you know, <laughs> basically yeah. get to it. And it's, you know, hopefully one day we can figure out the automation, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the stuff we're seeing is, is very, very promising and we're trading it with real money now. And we're looking forward to sharing that stuff. So, so Lee, um, after this episode, once it's posted, I'm going to put this into the community and I know you're going to be in there. So if, if anybody wants to ask Lee questions, any more details about how he made the back tester, he's going to be in there. He's going to answer questions. Um, do you have anything else you want to add to the SPX or any of the, any of the work that, that you're doing before we go? No, but I, I can tell you that I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing our results with people. The, the, the studies that we've done, they're so fascinating. They're so there's the historical data and how it plays out in winners and losers and ROI is just so fascinating. You can, you can make a higher ROI than, than I thought was possible just by knowing how this stuff works, understanding the models, understanding the historical data and applying it in a systematic way. We can, you can make a lot of money and I'm looking forward to sharing that with people. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. And, and, you know, I'm rethinking some of my other strategies about where I want to allocate capital so that, that those will be part of the discussions too. I know a lot of people w- when they see some of the videos I've done and some of the other studies on the internet, one of the questions they get into is like, well, how much should I apply to that trade? And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about once we get the initial data out is, is what is a realistic expectation that you can earn how much money do you actually need to, to do this stuff? We are doing it with SPX, so it's not pennies. You know, you need a little bit of money to do that. But most of these trades can be taken with, you know, $500 or less. Um, and, you know, I think, I think people are really going to enjoy that. So the way you organize that data and the way how easy it is for us to just continually test and compare is pretty impressive. So kudos to you for that. Um, yeah. So thanks for uh, coming by Lee. We're going to have you back on, um, once we get more of this data out, cause I know we're going to just, we're going to talk this stuff to death until, until people, until people understand what, what we're doing. So, um, I appreciate it and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later, Eric.